0: Well, we're continuing our series uh, called "Broken," and last week we uh, introduced the subject. and the, the idea is not to focus on broken, although we want to. We we do want to uh, talk about it. We don't want to ignore it because it's something that each and every one of us is familiar with. But at the same time, we want to talk about God's solution. You heard me say last week that God uh, has never been sitting up in heaven, scratching his head, wondering what to do. When Genesis 3 took place, as you know, the world was created in perfection. God created it and said, it's good. He created you and created me, created humanity in his likeness, he says, it's very good. Then the fall takes place, sin enters the world, and God was not scrambling for an answer. God wasn't scratching his head, wondering, you know, sequestered in the war room, going, What am I gonna do? People expect an answer and I gotta come up with something. No, that's not God. He had a solution right from day one, even before day one. He knew it was gonna take his son Jesus coming on dying on the cross for our sins. That goes that trumps everything that we do here at Crossroads. Um All the ministries, all the outreach, all the the community that takes place here is, is insignificant compared to the fact that Jesus loves you so much. He came and He died for your sins and for mine, for your brokenness and my brokenness, that we could have a relationship with His Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, And we can have peace in the midst of storm. We can have comfort in the midst of affliction here in this world. Jesus said in in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have suffering. And praise the Lord, he didn't put a period right there. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love that word, but, and what comes after it. I have overcome the world. So in this world that we live in, we can experience comfort in the midst of affliction. Those two things coming at each other, and they they sound like they're mutually exclusive, but they're not. We can experience comfort in our brokenness, healing, freedom, all of those things. And that's what this message series is all about. That He came, to change the predicament, to change the setting that we live in right now. That one day, yes, we will live free and clear from sin and sadness and hurt and suffering and pain and illness and all those things. But for the time being, between the dreaming and the coming true, He's given us answers and solutions and provision. We have a couple of art pieces up here again today. And uh, on my right, this one is done by Karen Chatham. And this one is done by Amber Hayhurst. And we've videotaped some of their testimony as they've uh, been asked to portray truly what brokenness means to them. They're beautiful art pieces. and invite you to take a look at the screens as we show you their testimonies.
1: Looking up to a new sunrise Looking back from the other side I create paintings. I also am a hairstylist and I create all kinds of hairstyles that are um I just love to uh make the world more beautiful however that can be and and uh I also create paintings, usually uh, I paint wild horses, I paint longhorns, I paint a lot of roses. When I was a child, uh, I got in trouble for marking on the walls. Uh, my mom <laughs> lined us up one time and I got a good spanking for being the one that uh, wrote on the walls. Create because, well, at first when I first created, I created because that's just part of who I am. But then uh, I feel like God's called me now to create for His glory. Well, brokenness comes in all kinds of different shapes and colors. The actions uh, that we do to ourselves sometimes can create brokenness. Uh, sometimes uh, words. For me it's been words. Words have broken me down and I, I I put up a wall, a concrete wall. God showed me that, you know, you have put up a concrete wall around your heart and so that nothing nothing can get into your heart until you break down that concrete wall, you're just gonna be frozen. Sometimes uh, people say things that hurt you so bad that can just crush you and just just break you. And I had to learn through those experiences that I am still who I am. And just because I've been broken, I've not been crushed. So the, the painting is named Broken But Not Crushed. When God pieces us back together, He makes us to be better and stronger than what we were before. When you let God heal your brokenness, He can make beauty out of that brokenness.
2: Take the lead
3: and I, will follow. I pretty much always had a desire to create since I was a little girl. And then when I started teaching, I loved being creative with my lesson planning um, and then making anchor charts and bulletin boards. And about four years ago, I started playing around with Van Dyke printing, and then that kind of led to oil paints
2: spin me round and round and remind me of that song, the one you wrote for me. And we dance.
3: I create because it just brings me so much joy and delight. Um, Darren actually spoke recently to me about how important it is to make time for things that just make our hearts beat, um, that fill up our tanks. And so that's something that painting does for me. When I think about brokenness, um, I actually think of heaven, which is a little bit ironic since they're quite opposite, but I think that's what um, honestly stands us apart from, Just being people of God, we have a hope of heaven. We have a promise. And so, even though we experience trials and tribulations, um, I think what stands us apart is we have light at the end of the tunnel. We um, know that it's temporary. And I truly believe that there is no earthly sorrow that heaven cannot heal. You know, I I prayed a lot throughout the process and something that I felt the Lord was telling me to do was to light the sky on fire. And so that was just so cool because I feel like that's what He wants for all of us. Um, Not just to get through life, you know, to, to just survive our brokenness. I believe he wants more than that. He offers us life to the full, abundant life, hearts on fire for him. And so that's what I tried to represent with this painting. Um, We live in a broken, fallen world, but we can take heart and know that he has overcome it. We have hope at the end of all of this because this is not our home. And so that's what this piece is actually called, is home as a reminder of that.
0: This is uh, Heather, I'm going to introduce her a little bit more in just a moment, but uh, before we get uh, to uh, talking about um, her story, I want us to just go back to last week, we talked a little bit about the context of hurt and pain and brokenness, and giving it some sense of, of the where and how it belongs, and, and uh, wh- you know, I guess kind of what, wh- what is up and what is uh, the direction, getting our bearings with, with that. Today, I want us to look at some of the tangible hurts and some of the tangible brokenness, particularly when it comes to our physical bodies, and when it comes to some of the, the pain and that that we, we experience in life. Um, as I mentioned, this is Heather, and uh, Heather has been attending since about February, um, and heard her story, and when we were coming into this series on, on broken. Um, I asked her if I could interview her and uh, uh, really have you hear her story. It's a stunning story, and um, um, I'm sure each and every one of us will be encouraged by her today. Um, So obviously, a a number of years ago um, was your very first birthday (laughs) you were born, and uh, it was within a couple of days that your, uh, your parents got some news. Tell us about that.
2: Okay, so my parents were, you know, a young couple, and they already had my older brother. And um, people, they, she, my mom didn't have a sonogram to know if I was a boy or girl. So people would ask them, you know, do you want a boy or a girl? And they would say, you know, as long as it's a healthy baby, we don't care either way. And then um, they had me, and I was this wonderful little baby girl. And on the second day of my life, the... Um, doctor, the pediatrician, came and told my mom that the nurse had heard a murmur, and they started to realize that I had some very severe heart defects from birth. And at that point, my parents realized that it didn't matter if I was a boy or a girl or healthy, that all they really wanted was a baby.
0: Obviously... um it became evident fairly soon that you needed a new heart. And um, that was still a number of years off. Uh, Tell us what your childhood was like. Um, It wasn't a, what we would consider a normal childhood, a number of uh, extended stays in the hospital, a lot of procedures. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like.
2: Yeah, so actually on Thursday, my mom and I, or Friday, I don't remember, we were looking at old videos from when I was, from when we were kids, you know, with the family and all that, and I noticed there was Christmas, and the camera was practically never on me, and whenever it was on me, I was just yawning or laying down, or, and I realized just, and we looked at another picture later that was years later, and I still looked, you know, so sick, and I realized, you know, while I wasn't totally aware of how different my life was—it was very different than normal. And that, actually, that Christmas, I had a, um, the, the Christmas that we saw a few months later. I had a heart procedure done because my valve was leaking. And so, even though I—I I thought of it as normal, my, my childhood was very different. I spent a lot of time in the hospital, and all the way up through adulthood.
0: So a lot of physical struggles, but a lot of uh, emotional and spiritual, a lot of things going on. And uh, um, there's actually, uh, just take a moment, uh, there's a a little booklet that uh, Heather uh, has written. It's her personal story. It's her life story. And she has a number of them up here in the front row. And and after the service, she's going to uh, hang around here up at the front. There's at, some out in the Oh, and here. some out in the lobby. And um, I just asked her, is there any cost to this? And she says, no, I just want to give these uh, to anyone who would take one and want to read it and maybe pass it on to someone for free. So you can grab one of these. That's her life story. There's also another book. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's called Rock Bottom is a Beautiful Place. And it's a, a lady who's written a number of books. This is the third book. And um, in this book... Um, They've. Uh, she's written a, a chapter on Heather's story, and I wrote the chapter. Oh, you wrote the chapter. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. You wrote the chapter. Um, but um, in that, in this rock bottom book that you wrote, it, you talk about um, depression, um, sadness, and uh, you kind of reached a conclusion about those things. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So, um, as an adult, I had I had graduated from college and then went to Dallas the Theological Seminary, graduated from there, and I was working, and um, some circumstances took place, and my heart um, started to fail again, and I had to stop working, and I had to move in with my parents, and I had to, my, grandparent, two, my two grandfathers died within a few months of each other, and then my cat died, and it was just like all this stuff happened all at once. Like when the cat died, I was like, this yeah. is enough. <laughs> yeah. So um, I talked to a friend of mine, his name is Josh, and he had been through a lot of struggles recently too, and he said to me, Heather, either you believe God is good or you don't. And if God is good, then God's plans are good. And if God's plans are good, then God's plans for you are good. Wow. And you either believe it or you don't. Yeah. And at that point, I realized that my um, my... Sorrow and depression and et cetera in that moment was an act of unbelief. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was a lack of faith. Now, I don't believe all depression and sorrow no. it is a lack of faith, but my depression and sorrow in that moment was a lack of faith.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, something for when I was reading through that. Just uh, It was a stunning statement to make. And um, just you being very transparent in that moment and, and uh, indicating what God was speaking to you about. Um, In 2013, so not too long ago, um, it was looking like a donor heart had come available for you. And in fact, it it was pretty much a done deal. And um, you were in very, very rough shape, um, and that fell through. Um, In your book, you talk about uh, just once again, the swirling emotions behind that. But it was, it was really in that moment that you felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and Him speaking to you in a real way. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so I was very sick and had, been, um, had gotten to the point that I was living in ICU, waiting for a heart. And um, I had gotten two viruses, and it, it was bad. I mean, it was, death was imminent. And somebody, they, I had was waiting for this heart, like, they, it was going to be my whole savior, you know, everything, all of my hope was I'm getting a heart, because without it, I, I wouldn't be able to see my, you know, nephews grow up, or see my family, or be with my family, or all these things that I had hoped for in my life, and so they came, and they said that they found this heart, and, but they weren't positive it was going to go to me, but it was most likely going to go to me, and I was so excited that, that the feeling was so intense. And then they came in the room and said, Heather, we're sorry. The heart is going to somebody else because they're closer to where the person died. And everything just fell right in that moment. And, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and said, you can either be angry and sad and bitter in this moment, or you can know that it's God's will and count it as joy. And so, with tears falling down, just flowing, I said, um, I know that this is God's will, and I count it as joy.
0: It's amazing. Without a heart, you were going to die. Mm-hmm. Without a new heart, you were going to die. And eventually, a heart came available, and you have had a heart transplant. You have a heart, a new heart, beating within you. There's all sorts of sermon illustrations <laughs> that we can go to on that one. but. <laughs> Tell us about uh, just about the procedure and uh, what took place.
2: Yeah, so the, that was the, the, when they came and said, when I got, missed the heart, it was on Friday. And on Sunday, they came and they told me that they had a heart and it was definitely mine. And it was from a young man. And that day, I can't even begin to sc- describe how that felt the moment they came in and said that that heart was mine. And um, I started crying from the moment they told me until I went, well, until they put me out for surgery. I was still crying. And um, it was the most amazing moment that I could ever imagine. And it actually, one thing, on that Friday, when I had missed that heart, the heart that I did get, his wife was signing the papers to donate this heart that I have at the same time that I had missed the first heart.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Kind of get a glimpse of what even Paul was talking about, talking about I was dead, but now I'm alive. Mm-hmm. This is the way I once was, but this is who God I am now.
2: took a hard heart, because my heart was hard. Yeah. he made a one of flesh, gave me one of flesh, which is
0: obviously yeah. in It's the, amazing. Yeah. Um, we get thinking, <clears throat> You know, a refrigerator at home has a bad part. We just switch it out and off we go. It's as good as new. Mm-hmm. A new heart is put inside of you, and yet it's not as good as new. Uh, there's still struggles. Not only are there the physical scars that you have from mm-hmm. surgery and from the procedure and that, but there are ongoing struggles that you have. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that.
2: So, physically, I have, um, I'm immunosuppressed. They have to kill my immune system because. Otherwise, my immune system would attack my heart, and I have to be on those medicines forever. If I were to stop taking that medicine one time, my body would start rejecting my heart. Yeah. And so I get sick very easily, and you'll see me wear a mask in flu season. And then um, there's a lot of other things that come with it. Is I have diabetes now. Um, my lungs were damaged from so many years of heart failure. My I was born with a muscle. A muscle problem, so I'm weaker than everybody else. I mean, there's just, it's just a multitude. I was actually in the hospital two weeks ago for six days. But, um, but emotionally, it's been difficult because um, when everything in my body changed, yeah. and um, so I was, like, the way I sense the world is different
0: cold feels different to me. Yeah, It was funny, uh, before coming up, I asked Pastor Barry if we could turn off the air conditioning on the platform here. They like to keep it like an icebox up here. And first service, I think, uh, I was shivering, but I looked over at Heather and she was just like shaking like crazy. So, so sorry about first service, but uh, so we got that turned off and it's feeling a little spa-like up here right now. <laughs> but... Um, uh, Tell us about its scars. When we think of injury, when we think of hurts and that, we think about scars. Now, your scars speak of hurt, but they also speak of healing. And they're an ongoing reminder of healing. I think for, for all of us, we carry scars. And, you know, whether it's a, a physical scar, I got a scar here from a hockey stick, I got a scar here. And we go, okay, it reminds us of the trauma, but very seldom do, do we re- remind ourselves of the healing that it, it's indication that we've been healed. Mm-hmm. So talk, talk to us a little bit just about those scars that you carry and that they're, they're a constant reminder, yes, of the hurt, but also the, mm-hmm. the healing. Mm-hmm.
2: So um, I'm getting my doctorate, and there's this one book that I just read that talks about that, you know, people have post-traumatic stress disorder, but they have found that some people have post-traumatic thriving. And so... Um, while some people get the stress disorder, other people thrive and they become um, stronger and their character grows. And we see that in the Bible because it talks about the perseverance in, our, in Philippians. And um, so for me, while, while there's a lot of physical scars on my body, um, they also are a badge of honor as, as to what um, God has done for me. Yeah. And... Um,
0: I'm going to talk about John 9. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, John 9 is really what this is all about. We put it in your bulletin there, and there's a story of um, um, people coming up to Jesus, and there's a blind man. And he says, who sinned, he or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. Neither he nor his parents sinned. This, this took place, and this happened, in order that the power of God would be on display people would know that and people would see that. And that's really become a, a life, uh, not verse, but life section of Scripture for you, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. So after my transplant, there was um, a time when I was basically just totally different. I looked different. Um, I, weighed a, I weighed a different amount. I, my body experiences the world differently than it did before. And my heart's different than it was. And um, so I really went through this identity crisis. And then the Lord showed me John 9. And I realized that that was what God had done for me. He had given me my defects. He had allowed me to have them. Because God is an all-powerful God. He could have stopped it if he wanted to. But he allowed me to have them. And he gave me them so that... I could share them with the world. And, it, and what a powerful thing it is to be the idea of that we are a vessel of God's good works. Yep. That when we go through struggles, we are a vessel of God's good works. And no matter what struggles they are, when we're going through those hard times, if in those moments, we are a vessel of God's good works. And what a privilege that is. That is such, so much more of a privilege and a gift than a hardship.
0: You talked in the first service about uh, those hard prayers, those difficult prayers. Mm-hmm.
2: Um. So um, I'm getting my doctorate, and so I had to read this book called The Me I Want to Be. And in it, um, it's talking about hardships and the things we go through and what all we have to go through. And, and the author, John Ortberg, um, suggests that we pray for a mountain. Because when we pray for a mountain, we can grow closer to the Lord and closer to others, and that we become more of who we are meant to be, of who God wanted us to be. And so it talks about praying for a mountain, even though not a one of us wants, to, wants a mountain in our lives. And so last week, I had to literally pray for a mountain. It's part
0: of... You're the right? last person that needs to pray for a mountain. <laughs> I know, right?
2: <laughs> it's part of, like, this work that I'm doing for a seminary. <laughs> so, but yeah.
0: You think about that. That's, I call those hard prayers. Yeah, I'd love to sit up here and go, hey, man, I do that every day. Yeah, I pray for mountains. It's like, who are you kidding? <laughs> But it's it a hard prayer, and yet what do we want? We want God's power to be on display. Mm-hmm. Not me and what I can do, not Heather and what he she, she can yeah. do, not not any of us and what we can do. It, it's God's power at work within us, right? Ephesians 3.20. Mm-hmm.
2: You
0: know, and he's what Borg yeah.
2: also said, you know, one of the things he said was, our... Our circumstances and our hardships and things that we aren't, or all the good things that are happening to, everything here is temporary. Yeah. But I'm eternal. Yes. And you're eternal. Yeah. And our lives are eternal. They go on forever. And so if we can, in those good things and on the bad things, if we're learning things for our character, that's going to go on forever. Yeah.
0: Man, that's so good. It's so good. Um Just a moment uh, we're going to uh, close our service uh, I'm going to ask the uh, um, ministry uh, the worship team to come on up and join me up here um, and uh here's the deal, folks um, I've said this many times over the last number of years, more so in the last few weeks, uh, even talking to people out in the lobby. Um, God has given us an incredible gift here at crossroads um, a place. I, I don't, I, I struggle with the term because it comes across as trite, but safe place, a safe place to be ourselves and be transparent, um, to share when we're having uh, a great day, to share when we're having an awful day. I love that part in scripture where it says, um, you know, the body of Christ rejoices with those who rejoice and mourns with those who mourn. And I come back to that often where, you know, the last thing you want to do when you're having a crummy day is celebrate with somebody who's having a great day. And yet, what does the body of Christ do? We do that. And when we're having a great day, and life is, you know, we're, we're, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips. The last thing we want to do is come alongside someone who's, who's mourning. And yet what do we do? The body of Christ does that. And we're, we're transparent with one another. We're, we're caring for one another. And it, it, this truly is a place. It's a, it's a unique place where that happens and that we can share our struggles. We can share our victories. We can share those together, knowing that they're going to be an encouragement to one another. And we're going to be encouraged by doing that as well. So let's stand together.